Well, it's that time of year again. Projects are in full swing, and you know what that means. you got to make that trip up to Jacob's Supply. Whether you're a contractor or builder, or you're checking those things off the to-do list around the house, now is the time to visit Jacob's Supply. Guys, listen to some of the crazy good deals they have going on right now. PVC decking for $2.99 a linear foot in 10 different colors. Composite decking for $2.35 a linear foot in two colors. Treated decking for $0.65 a linear foot. Duralife composite rail kits available in select colors starting at $64.99. And don't forget the vinyl rail kits also available in stock. Need the fasteners? They have those too. Hidden or visible? Clips or screws. Jacob Supply is located in Temperance, Michigan, but ships many products nationally too. So whether you're in-state or out-of-state, they're just a click or call away. Check them out at www.jacobsupply.com or call them at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978 or click the link in the description of this episode. Jacob Supply, your one-stop shop for products you need at prices you love. Hey guys, you got to join us at the Thank God for Bitcoin 2024 conference in Rocket Town, Nashville, July 24th and 25th. Last year was phenomenal and this year is going to be even better. G.K. Chesterton once said, I never discuss anything else except politics and religion. There is nothing else to discuss. Given how secular our current world is, this might sound strange. We can think of many things that don't initially seem political, but whether we recognize it or not, religion and politics define the playing surface and rules that govern our lives and actions. And money is one of the most powerful tools in enacting the wills of both government and God. Although we all use it, few Christians have a rich, biblically grounded, historically informed framework through which to understand what money is, and consequently the effect it necessarily has on how we think about economic issues. Well, that won't fly at this conference. We're talking stewardship, dominion, and the economics of glory with some of the biggest names around. Speakers include Michael Foster, C.R. Wiley, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, Nate Fisher, Jordan Bush, and many, many more. You won't want to miss this lineup. This is one of the most intellectually powerful theologically sound, and all-around good-time conferences you can go to this summer. So go to www.tgfb.com, that's Thank God for Bitcoin, www.tgfb.com, and get your tickets today, or click on the link in the description of this episode. See you there, guys. Christians, are you tired of just talking about starting a parallel economy and not doing anything about it? The Workspace Conference is the catalyst you've been waiting for. Join us this June 28th and 29th at the Hilton in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Engage with leading Christian thinkers like David Bonson, C.R. Wiley, Steve Jeffrey, David Reese, and Andrew Krapyshevs. They'll share invaluable insights on how to actively integrate your faith with your professional life in ways that really matter. These leaders are not just thinkers, but doers, shaping a Christian approach to business that makes a real impact. This event is more than speeches. It's a vibrant networking hub for Christian professionals and entrepreneurs eager to create substantial change. It's an opportunity to forge meaningful connections, explore new business opportunities, and collaborate in a faith-driven environment. Don't miss the highlight of our networking opportunities, the exclusive speakers dinner. This is a premier event where you can dine with our speakers and other influential guests, deepening relationships and discussing ideas in an intimate setting. We are also actively seeking partners who are passionate about building a Christian economy. If you're interested in collaborating or sponsoring, we'd love to hear from you. And make sure you join us for Beer and Psalms for some relaxed fellowship and let's turn our faith into action together. So reserve your spot now at www.worksbase.com That's worksbase.com or click the link in the description of this episode and be part of building a dynamic Christian professional community. Let's move beyond talk, fellas, and start creating the change we want to see.
tonight I saw a clip from Alistair Begg, and it was at, it was a question at a conference asked by R.C. Sproul of what what does it mean to be reformed? And I thought that was such a great question because Alistair Begg kind of took a funny approach to it, and he said, "Read your Bible, be biblical, and then you're reformed." And everyone laughed. It really wasn't in depth. It Isn't was, that true, though? Isn't that true, Greg? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's kind of true. <laughs> Which is why it's funny for people in that audience that are reformed. Um, but I thought maybe Read we could— Read your Bible, exegete, yeah. understand, and live then, it out. And then you're reformed. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that I thought— That being it, facetious, but still. Yeah. Uh, well, you're kind of being true, though, too, which I guess is what— I'm being spot-on true, but yeah, but we are, yeah. It's almost like you have to say that so people who aren't in that category go, hey, I stop know. being mean. I read my yeah, Bible. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I thought maybe that might be a fun one to talk about, too. Uh, what does it mean to be Reformed? This is the Reformed and Rowdy Room. It's the only Reformed uh, room on Clubhouse. And as we grow and more people come in and things like that, I thought that would be a fun subject to talk about tonight. Um, and just so everyone who's coming into the room, just so you know, uh, the little icon there in the Reformed and Rowdy After Dark uh, subject line there, that is a recording icon. So you are being recorded. Um, we do edit everything down in post, but just be aware that that is being recorded. So if you do want to come up and speak, you're more than welcome, but just uh, you know, be aware that it is being recorded. So what does it mean to be reformed? Do I have any takers in the speaker section that want to uh, start with that? Uh, or, or do I need to? Uh-oh, Dwayne just raised his hand and said he wants to be a speaker. He might have All something right. to say about it. <laughs> hey, Ben. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, Stephen's back, yeah. Dwayne, what does it mean to be reformed, yes, brother? Well, listen, man. Um, when I first met Steve Lawson, you know, my podcast is Biblical and Reformed, uh, Steve Lawson looked at my shirt and said, uh, it should say biblical is reform or reform is biblical uh, because, yeah, that's that's what you get, man. And I said, Steve, that's a great idea, but bar sounds better. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you just you I just had, uh, didn't you just have Grudem on your uh, podcast too? Yeah, yeah, just had Wayne Grudem. Um, you know, I was Powerhouse. he actually wrote the book on theology. So I was a little yeah. nervous. <laughs> I think it went very well. I listened to it. I thought it was great. Thanks, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It was it was definitely fun. Definitely a um I guess a uh, landmark or you know, one of those, those pinnacles that you, you dream of when you start a podcast for sure. Well, between that and being executive producer of like the most popular uh, reformed and Christian podcast uh, right now on Apple, just thinking you guys, you're doing some great work over there as well. So yeah, for anyone listening, make sure you check out Dwayne Atkinson at Bar Podcast, Biblical and Reformed, and then obviously executive director, executive producer at uh, Just Thinking, which is just taken off with Virgil and Daryl as well. But uh, so yeah, Biblical and Reformed. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there should be an and in there. It should just be like I'm biblical and I'm reformed, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and and it, there's a lot of truth to that, man. Whenever you know uh, you search the scriptures, um, it you know it leads to that. Um, I'm sure, some of our our brothers and sisters might not agree, but apparently they haven't you know actually sought out scriptures properly. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? You know what I end up running into whenever uh, I first became reformed was, man, you can't just cherry pick a verse. 
And <laughs> you had to right. actually read through the context of, you know, what that verse really actually meant. You know, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens right. me. You know, it's like taking that verse, you, you, you got to read through what Paul said before that. And after that, you know, it's not just, Hey man, I'm going to go win a baseball game. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. like that's not what that context is, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. No, absolutely. I've said it before on our podcast, Jason, too, where, uh, you know, I, I was, I was raised a certain way and then just really got into reading the word every day and going, well, how I was taught doesn't line up with this. What does this mean? And then you'd watch something by RC or then I'd, you know, then I'd go back to the word and then I'd watch something by James White and then go back to the word. Then I'd, you know, back then it was, uh, you know, Chandler was preaching fire. He's a, uh, we can get into that subject now, what the heck he's doing now, but, uh, Matt Chandler, and then, you know, uh, kind of the classics, and then really start getting into the history of the church and what did the early church fathers believe, and then just start realizing throughout the history of our church, all of these preachers and theologians that we hold in such high esteem, you know, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and Charles Spurgeon, who's a prince of preachers, and John Edwards, who is, uh, who in America is said to have preached the the most uh, riveting and popular sermon of all times. And then, you know, John Knox and G.I. Packer and all these different guys that, you know, uh, John uh, Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And you go, oh, my gosh, these guys were all reformed. And because I came up from, uh, you know, to where in, in, in my, you know, coming up in church was, hey, look at those Calvinists, those Reformed people. Uh, yeah, they're kind of Christians, but kind of not. Don't really listen to them. They believe in some crazy stuff. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized, oh, no, they just believe what the Bible says, and they let the text stand on its own, and they don't put a whole lot of tradition over what the text says. Now, in the Reformed community, you can have people with traditions and things like that. I get that. But overall, it really lets the text say exactly what it says. And for me, that made sense. Uh, So for me, like Reformed is really like the five solas. Like if you look at the five solas and, uh, you know, and you really study those, you go, wow, that is the entirety of how we should read, believe, and act out the Bible. Uh, So for me, anyone that says, yeah, I'm on board with the five solas. I go, absolutely. And then, you know, sometimes you break that down with people and you go, well, what do you, what does that mean to you? And we might have some misunderstanding or, or a difference in opinion in that. But um, the five solas for me is really the foundation of, you know, uh, of Reformed theology for me. So I would, I would say, I definitely agree with five solas. That's, that's you know, major part. But I would also say, um, you know, the tulip or the, I always say the adapted version of the tulip that RC kind of teach through. Mm. Um, that that's foundational when it comes to you know functionality because you know that a lot of people, some people claim to be like four point or three point Calvinist or whatever. Um, you know, I, I would say that could be kind of a dividing line for some folks as far as if how, what they believe in uh, reform theology as such. So it's, it's actually stulip, Dwayne. It's stulip. right. Sovereign, <laughs> the sovereignty of God first. <laughs> J- Jason is really trying to get Stulip popular. I, I think we're just going to have to make a T-shirt that says Stulip and see if anyone catches right. on with that. That sounds too much like 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 
stool like boo boo or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Dwayne, you're you're totally right though about Tulip. Uh, when I first read yeah. through Tulip, I went, "Oh my gosh, this answers all the questions I've been asking since I was 13 years old." I mean, I had questions for youth leaders and pastors, and they just kind of shrugged at me and went, "Well, though, that's not what we really believe." And you tell a 14-year-old kid who already has a personality that just wants to know why, and you tell them, well, it's because we said so, well, that just piques my interest all the more to study and dig into it and look at it. And, you know, limited atonement was something that I was asking my pastors about when I was 13. I mean, if Christ died for all people, and uh, the reason we people go to, sin, go to hell is because of sin or because of unbelief, and unbelief is a sin, then why is anyone in hell? He's atoned for everyone. We should all be in heaven. We should all be universalists. Now, I didn't have that, uh, you know, those those phrases or those terms down, but that's essentially what I was asking, and no one really could give me a good answer to that until I got to a systematic theology that included Reformed theology, and I went, oh, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. So, yeah, Tulip is is huge, too. I mean, obviously, um, you know, when you talk about three and four and five point, I would just throw this out there for everyone in the room. What has been the, the, one of the points of the tulip that was either personally hardest for you to overcome or, uh, even when you talk to people, what's the hardest point of the T U L I P that people give you pushback on? Anyone want to take that? I mean, on my side, I would say the, the limited atonement, which like I said, I like RC's adapted to that like particular atonement. Cause when you say limited, it almost seems like you're limiting what, you know, Christ did and what God can do. But, you know, there be more particular atonement, like, you know, a, atonement for chosen people. It makes it a little bit more palatable. But that's, that was the one that I, I struggled with personally. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Covenant Real Estate. And why not? It's my podcast and my real estate company. But seriously, I've absolutely enjoyed helping clients buy, sell, and invest in real estate over the last 12 years. My brokerage serves clients in Michigan and Ohio, with more states coming soon. When I started this brokerage, I wanted to ensure that my expertise and knowledge would serve every one of my clients. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my clients very seriously. That's why I named it Covenant Real Estate. Not only is a covenant a contract in the legal sense, but it's also a solemn promise from myself to each of my clients. I will do my absolute best to serve you. It's also pretty cool that our name has some theological implications as well, which is a great conversation starter. And here's the best part. My agents and I have extensive experience in helping people buy and sell residential homes, buy and sell commercial properties, as well as investing in real estate and selling and purchasing recreational and vacant land. Covenant Real Estate can help you with all of your real estate needs, and I would love the opportunity to earn your business. So if you have real estate needs in Michigan or Ohio, call me at 734-731-GREG. That's 734-731-GREG. Or click on the link in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to right now. Remember, Covenant Real Estate, confidence from contract to close.
Yeah. Well, it was for me, it wasn't until that I realized that both reformed and non-reformed believe in a limited atonement. They both believe in limited. Um, you know, we believe in limited in scope, unlimited in power. Arminians or non-reformed believe limited in power, but unlimited in scope. So both of them believe in something that's limited. But they just don't. But it's what 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 limit are we putting on that atonement? And the reformed folks don't put a limit on the power of the atonement. Every single drop of blood that Christ shed did its absolute work that it was predestined and for now, you know, for new to know or to do. So, you know, it didn't really click with me until I realized, oh, Arminians believe in a limited atonement. They just think it's limited in power. You, because you have to choose to accept it. Uh, but they believe it's unlimited in scope. It's for everyone. So, you know, when I came at it at that angle and I realized, well, we both believe in an limited atonement, I would much rather err biblically on the side of it being unlimited in power and Christ being sovereign and God being sovereign and his work being sovereign. Stephen, how you doing, right. brother? Hey everyone, good. How how are you guys? So, what was it for you? Uh, what what do you think uh, it means to be reformed? Well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, at the very basic level, like like you guys mentioned, the five solas, and then um, also tulip, the five points of Calvinism, or I guess uh, tulip, the five six tulip. Go with tulip, Stephen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How how did Calvin not get, I mean, how did we not get a uh, sovereignty in that acronym to begin with? Cause that's like the biggest thing that everything else kind of hangs on. But, Amen. Um, but I'm thinking um, not every, there are a lot of, I'm trying to think to sort of narrow down a definition of reformed. When you get into things that there's room for disagreement with, I think it might be better to get a, you know, I guess a clear picture of what it means and what it doesn't, because there are a lot of, um, and I'm thinking in particular of eschatology, right? Which always comes up when there's major world events like we've seen in this past year. Sure. And when you think of reformed in that sense, you're generally thinking post-millennial, even some guys leaning towards theonomy and things like that. And then you, but you also have, you know, guys who are dispensational and things like that, which is not a traditionally reformed view, but uh, a number of them are solid believers. And so I'm trying to sort of narrow down and, I don't know, get everyone's thoughts on things like that. Like, do we call dispensational brothers reformed, uh, you know, even amillennial? I guess sort of secondary things that, uh, you know, Arminianism, like you mentioned earlier, that's a serious error. I mean, heresy. But for things where there's more disagreement, where there's solid Christian brothers that maybe aren't reformed in, uh, you know, eschatology is just the one off the top of my head, like I said. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, I would say I do like that we only got a few minutes into this before we had a reformed person say, define your terms. <laughs> because that's like our calling card. I feel like, like every reformed person I meet is like, Hey, before we start talking, let's define the terms that we're talking about. Uh, I feel like I don't have that as much, uh, within my non-reformed brothers and sisters, but boy, you start talking to a reformed person. It's like, well, let's, let's define what we're talking about. So kudos for that. I, I would say me personally, and anyone can jump in here and, and comment as well. I would say the two that we just mentioned, I would say to define as reformed or Calvinist in in your view, you would have to hold to tulip and some part of that, and probably the solas. 
Uh, I mean, that's really what the Reformation produced, the Protestant Reformation produced um, from Zwingli and Luther and Calvin. So I think if we if we can take those uh, solas and, and tulip and say, yeah, you need to hold to some type of form of that to to be considered reformed. That that's where my mind usually goes when we start talking reform. D- d- does anyone agree with that or disagree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I, I mean, I think that uh, the I just lost my whole train of thought, like right then and there. Like everything just left my <laughs> mind. I start. I started thinking about eschatology. And, and I started oh, thinking you about say post mill to Jason, and he gets all worked up. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. right? I know, man. I'm po- hey, I'm post mill, man. I'm I'm on the I'm on the optimistic side, even though uh, you know we go through what we go through right now. Um, so, uh, but yeah, man. I I think there's I think. You know, just like you just said, uh, Greg, I think when it comes to terms, you know, um, just making sure that we're, uh, you know, speaking, speaking truth with those terms. Um, and I think something for me throughout TULIP, whenever I bring up unconditional, uh, unconditional election, um, you know, someone or, you know, someone will say, well, you know, so you're saying that there's only so many people that can get into heaven. And it's like, I mean, yes and no. I mean, right. like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like, yeah, there's got to be a number, but like, I ain't saying that, like, I'm not going to speak to everyone that I can about Christ, you know, like, right. I mean, yeah, like, it, it's not me who draws them in. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, you know, like, I don't draw them in, you know, um, uh, yeah. but yeah, man, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, there's no way around the word elect because it's in the New Testament at least 25 plus times. Right. So that term in and of itself, you know, um, uh, but yeah, but anyway, sorry, I forgot what I was even going to say that. So I just rambled. Sorry. No, that's pretty good for losing your train of thought. I can tell you, I can tell you're a podcaster. Hey man, I can do it. <laughs> so really quick, I wanted to jump back to what Steven said. I heard him say, I, I was doing something on the computer when you were talking, I heard you say something about, well, that's apostasy. Were you talking about a certain es- eschatology that you thought was apostasy? No, that was Arminianism. Oh, I was oh. Saying, yeah. I thought you said uh, amillennialism at first. I didn't put that in I the same breath as Arminianism. Right here, man. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I think you're just trying to pick fights right here, man. Oh, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, he I, clearly I didn't say um, um, Okay. Okay. No, I wanted to, be, I no, wanted to make sure. No, Amil is heresy, guys. Amil oh is heresy. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. Oh, <laughs> hey, I'm an, I'm, I'm an optimistic Amil, okay? And, and How I, can you be optimistic? That's that's like a, that's like a, a yeah, yeah look I won't you, even say what you it don't sounds even like. Ha- you don't even have a good analogy. Look at you. You don't oxymoron. even have a good analogy. It sounds like an oxymoron. That's what it sounds like. Abil is like we're positive and negative at the same time. It's so like, why can't we be? You got both being ru- both running. It's called being. It's called being realistic. No, you could be realistic in post mill. I don't know, man. I love a simple theology because I'm a simple person. So when you have Abil is simple. I think so. I think you have covenant <laughs> theology, bro. Dwayne is the most complicated out of all three. <laughs> See, thank you, Steven. <laughs> Well, it's simple for me I, in the fact that the <laughs> that the millennium, the millennial, you know, it's it's here, it's now, it's Christ reigning, and I don't have to worry about 
uh, certain, you know, pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib and all, and all these things. Like Christ is coming back, and when He does, uh, we'll be reigning and ruling with Him forever. Uh, I, I feel like that in that aspect, it's pretty darn simple. Wouldn't you? I mean, do you disagree? I'd have to hear more of your definition of Amil. That sounded like a cop out. No, that's a question. <laughs> what is your definition of of Amil? Like the full. So, so like, what do you see in Scripture? So from the time that Christ died, resurrected, he's reigning with the Father right now at the right hand. Yeah. And that and, that's and, post mill. And, and, and that's no it's not. It in and, and that is the 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 millennium is now. That's, it's not it's not a thousand physical years. It's not a it's a it's young. Neither is post mill. It's a sp- it's a span of time. So I'm saying it's simple in the fact that the redemption plan was Christ come to earth, he uh die a sacrificial lamb. He's resurrected. He's ruling and reigning through the millennium right now. And he comes back and we rule and reign with him forever on earth. I mean, that's pretty direct. When you get into post-mill and pre-mill, you have to start looking at things like, well, how long is it? When did it start? Uh, you know, we're going to, we're basically in post-mill, we're working towards that's this not thing. Post-mill, though. Well, we're working towards this thing and then we're going to hand it off to him and then he's going to reign. I, I just, when I read through scripture and I'm not an well, expert on this, I'm, I'm on the fence. I could be post-mill. I don't know. But for me, yeah. uh, when I look at Amil, I look, yeah, it seems like that, that rule and reign is in heaven right now and it's happening and it's not a physical specific 1000 years. Just because when you look at the text, I don't know if it really supports that, that thousand years, that word there is used for many different things. That just means a span of time, in my opinion. Right. I mean, cattle on a thousand hills and blah, right. blah, blah. Um, <laughs> Did you just uh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, my eschatology? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still caught up in like what the uh, partial futurist is, is what I'm, I'm still caught up with, with what Gary DeMar said to us. At the uh, Fight Laugh Feast Festival. Yeah. Do you guys know what a partial futurist is? Does anyone want to take it? I do not. Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh oh. See, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still caught up. I, I have no idea what that is. So I don't know. DeMar is a lot further along than, than me. That's for sure. Yeah, it's tough when you're really, uh, you know, you're kind of secure in something. And then a guy who's wrote, written, you know, 23 books on something is like, well, no, I'm this. And this is why, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, actually, if you guys are on the Canon Press um, app, man, it's such a great app. But um, Gary DeMar has an awesome series um, of uh, of uh, just, just end times theology stuff. And it's just so cut and dry. I mean, it, it's like, this is what the Bible says. Let the Bible, let scripture interpret scripture. You know, you know, like let the text speak, like stop reading your story into the Bible and allow the Bible to say what it says. Right. Right. Um, uh, and I mean, like, it, it's just, I mean, he goes through so many verses and, and I mean, it like, it will just, I mean, it, it you know, at first it kind of, you know, bashes your, your tradition that you grew up with, you know, um, uh, and it really, I don't know, in some ways it might start to hurt your feelings and you'll get upset. But <laughs> I, think, I think he really just comes at it just like, what does the Bible say? You know, 
um, uh, in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. Like, what does it say? And did it really happen in AD 70? Like, did, did these events take place? And when he says, you know, uh, this generation uh, will not pass away until they see these things, it, it doesn't say that generation the way people want to read it into the text that says this generation, you know, um, uh, but there's so many examples that he gives, but Gary DeMar, solid, solid, solid teaching. Really great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, a plug so, for Gary. so I just kind of jumped on the laptop here just to look around to get a tech textbook definition. And it kind of goes along with what he was saying when he was on our podcast was, you know, uh, like a partial futurist is kind of like a partial preterist, meaning some of the things have happened. And he did say that when he was on, he, he was yeah. saying, look at, I believe that, you know, um, what is it? 70, 70 AD, the, the temple in Jerusalem and all that has happened. So I think partial right. futurist is kind of like a partial preterist. If I'm reading it correctly, meaning you yeah, know, not, not I, full preterist, even like know where to start. everything has been fulfilled and you, you know, you, you get into full preterism and it's kind of nuts when you really think about it. Um, I know a full, yeah, there's a hyper, I know a guy, he's like hyper and he's worse. like, look at the only command I have is to love one another, you know, and to love God with all your heart. That's it. That's all we have to do as Christians. And, yeah. uh, you know, full preterism gets into some deep waters that I, I don't really subscribe to, but partial. Sure. I mean, as a, you know, I'm a millennialist, I have to believe that Christ was talking to that generation and that in 70 AD, everything he was talking about in Matthew 24 was fulfilled. And even your, your post mill says that. I mean, even guys like, um, well, now you're James White and you're Doug Wilsons and things like that. Uh, they look at uh, 70 AD as being Actually, the fulfillment, fulfillment of that. I think, uh, I don't know if you guys are sure of this or not. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm almost positive uh, Doug Wilson is a full preterist. And um, I think... Uh, Actually, Gary DeMar said that he believes all of Revelation has happened. Um, that's what he said to us off of the uh, off of the air. I'll have to go back anyway. and listen. He, I don't remember that. No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't on air. He he, he said the reason it wasn't on air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did whisper it. He whispered it. He was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah. And uh, by the way, all of uh, Revelation is is done. <laughs> I, you know, I watched, I watched, a, a, you know, the debate between, uh, it, it was hosted by, uh, John Piper and it was, uh, Sam Storms and Doug Wilson and one other gentleman I can't remember, but it does, it's not important. He was a pre-tripper dis, disby, but, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. but, uh, when Doug was talking, it didn't sound like that. He was talking about the age to come and the age that's now is different. And he still believed in an age to come, which led me to believe he was wasn't a full preterist. Um, I could be wrong though. I mean, that was seven years ago. So who knows that could have changed. I mean, yeah, look read at, the, when the man comes around. Um, yeah. If you get a chance, pick that up. It's a great commentary on revelation. For me personally, the only eschatology that, that I see can be harmful to someone's, you know, walk into their great commission is kind of a pre-trib dispensationalist. That's the real one where it's like hunger down. Let's not do anything. God's going to rapture us up, take us out of here. And it really t leads people to kind of tend to be like just inclusive of themselves and not really carry out the great commission. Um, you know, if you're a post mill, I'm good. If you're a mill, I'm good. If, you know, like I said, full preterist gets into some wonky stuff. If you go hyper preterist, but even then I, I think we have so some room for agreement. Really the one for me, and you guys can speak on this too, is 
Man, when I meet my like left behind Kirk Cameron pre-tribbers, it's tough to get through to them. They're like, look at the world around us. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. We just need to go buy some property and hide out and, you know, and wait to for Christ to come grab us. And I don't know if that's really the call of a believer. When Jesus says, go out. No, it's not. I mean, I I think I'll, let me defend uh, dispensationalism real quick, a little bit here. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, I think uh, even, I think James White coined the term talking about it, escapist uh, eschatology, as in like, you know, like you mentioned, they're looking for Christ is going to return and and fix everything. You know, the world, the world is broken. um, And so we kind of don't have to do anything. Just like look forward to that. Uh, And, but I don't think any serious uh, dispensationalists, at least not the ones I know really, you know, believe and act in that sort of left behind way. You know, the, what is the the old term The I think Bonson came up with newspaper eschatology, right? Where you're looking at, you know, Mm. Oh man, Joe Biden got elected. So, you know, that's it. You know, Christ is returning any day. Um, you know, look at how bad the world is, all this kind of stuff. But all that kind of thinking, um, is just ignoring the Great Commission, right? I mean, it's the, I think, uh, sort of the, the, the post mill and ah mill distinctive of, yeah, you know, um, which they say, what, like Christ is here or we're here. I'm trying, hang on, what's my train of thought? Um, like bloom where you're planted, essentially. So, you know, no matter what happens, Christ is, God is sovereign, and we have something to build for here on this earth. We have something, you know, seeing people come to Christ is worth it um, for, for God's glory, really. And I think dispensationalists, a lot of them can have that view. I think I look at John MacArthur as an example of a good one. He's, I think he's even come out and straight up condemned all the sort of thinking that, you know, the like so and so, such and such an event in the world is fulfilling prophecy today. And he, he comes across and says, you know, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, it can't be predicted and things like that. And we do have a mission while we're still here on this earth to, to go out for, for God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom. So I think that, yeah, um, dispensationalism, it can for someone with who's not, I guess, reformed and biblical, like uh, letting the Bible inform everything they do. It can sort of um, slip into those dangers, like you were saying, Greg, but I don't think necessarily um, it means that all of them will. Yeah, that's a good point. I got a, I got a question. Oh, sorry, sir. No, go ahead, Jason. I, I, I just had a question for you guys. Like uh, along that point, um, I know dispensational pre-mill uh, came with John Darby, right? 150 years ago. Right. Right. Pretty much. So, so I mean, <clears throat> the thing, the thing that um, I can't remember where I heard this this week, but it really just made me start thinking just about how many years have we lost because of that eschatology. I mean, do you guys agree with that statement? I mean, like, I think it, I think it turned into what you were talking about, Greg, the escapism, you know, um, uh, and what, and what, uh, Steven just said about, um, the escapist mentality, like, you know, God, just take us out of this place, you know? And it's like, we're just, you know, sitting around waiting, waiting for the Lord to just take us out of here, you know? Um, uh, uh, um, who's, who's the guy, uh, uh, just recently, I mean, he predicted like, um, a few different times now that it was the end of the world. And, uh, I mean, like there, there's, there were just so many, uh, 
so many people that have been predicting the end of the world for so long, but do you feel like we've lost ground over the last 150 years? Um, as you look at history, just as the Christian worldview, you know, or, or do you guys feel like we're still on a trajectory, which, I mean, I'm saying this as a post mill guy, which, you know, I totally believe that, you know, we're going to get there, but it seems like a little bit of a lull at the moment, because just like I was saying on our podcast the other day, there's so many kids that don't have not heard the gospel. You know, I mean, like, I mean, there's more kids in, in America now that have no idea who God is. That's all they hear is grandma went to heaven and, you know, she's up in a cloud now and she's watching over you. Like, that's all they know about, about God, you know? Sure. So, no. but anyway, that's a long rant, but I mean, like, what, what do you guys think about some of that? I, I think you, you could be right. I mean, I think, you know, dispensationalism has been the prevailing view for, decades and i guess greater america evangelical church um and i mean it you know like the whole newspaper eschatology the the dark side of of dispensationalism uh escapism i think maybe has done some some damage and made people perhaps complacent uh and lazy in the great commission compared to like you know your your post mill view which is which is probably the most excellent and inherently strong on just having the you know the attitude of living for the progression of the advancement of Christ's kingdom on this earth but yeah you might be right about that Jason you know that we love reformed Christian businesses right yes we do and we love supporting them Yes, absolutely. And we got a pretty cool one for you right now. Guys, you need to go to RighteousWretch.com. And why? Why should they go there? Because they have so much merch that is <laughs> worth spending that hard-earned money on. Yeah, they have some cool shirts, keychains, mugs, and it's all... Christmas ornaments. Christmas ornaments. They? Yeah. <laughs> and they're just so cool. I mean, they even have a John Kelvin, uh, the only election that mattered t-shirts that oh, actually I got banned it. from Facebook <laughs> and Instagram. That's so cool. Anyone that gets banned from Facebook is friends of ours. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> and these shirts that they have, guys, they're so comfortable. They're like buy and try blend. They're not that like cheap, stiff, kind of one-size-fits-all t-shirts. They're high quality. You feel good. You look good. Uh And some of the sayings and some of the stuff that they come up with are just really cool and really neat. Definitely. Great conversation starters, too, by the way. Yeah, and if you watch our YouTube videos, you'll see us wearing a couple of them. I know I have the Sole Fida. You've got about 200 of them. Yeah, I have five of them. Yeah, (laughs) I love those things. So It's probably just the five solas. (laughs) (laughs) You've got all five solas. So we're personal believers in them, too. Look, they're brothers in the Lord. They're trying to bring glory to God, and they have a great company. Go to www.righteousretch.com and check out what they have. Yep. Yeah, Jason, I think that's a good point. I think we have lost some ground just because here's the issue. If you're a dispensationalist or if you're pre-trib, what it does is it's much easier to slip into that and to feel comfortable in that eschatology yeah. because it it allows you to just look at your your immediate surroundings, right? So so pre-trib and dispensationalism, and by definition, dispensations, there's different dispensations in which God works with his people. It allows you to just go look at the life I'm living in my generation in the, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 years on either side in the future and in the past. And, oh, this is everything. This is my worldview based on the last 50 years. 
to where when you start getting into post mill and ah mill, you have to look at the entire history of, of the world. And I think that's where it's a little harder and you have to think a little more about what the Bible says in the backdrop of the entire history of the human race. I have people that go, Oh, we have so many abortions and this and that, and that's horrible. And and I get it. And I understand the spirit of murder and wanting to sacrifice children to, to, uh, other gods. But we did that thousands of years ago. The Romans, uh, sewed skins, uh, bear, bear skins onto small Chinese children and made them fight other Anglo-Saxons for fun. I mean, before that, we sacrificed millions of children at the altar. Like the spirit of murder and sin and the Antichrist has always been here. So when I look at it, the backdrop of history and then try to put my eschatology against that, it's very hard for me to be kind of pre-trib or even dispensationalist because I go, look at, look at against the backdrop of sin and depravity since the creation of man. And that has never gone away. We might think like, oh, it's more prevalent now because we know about it. We have the internet, we have instant communication. We can, you know, we can see when someone's being a hypocrite, uh, you know, to our eyes because of social media and all these things. Well, guess what? People were always hypocrites. They're always murderers. They're always blasphemers. They're always prideful. That sin is not going gone away. So I feel like sometimes the pre-trib or the dispensationalists, it's popular and we've kind of lost some ground because it's very easy to slip into and just look around and go, oh, well, when I was a kid 20 years ago or 30 years ago, or heck, when I was growing up 50 years ago, and then we compare it to just our little experiences within the last 50, 60, 70 years, when in fact, the kingdom of God and the Bible is something that is going to last from like I said, the, the, the creation of the human race until Christ returns and we rule and reign with him forever. But with that, I would like to say hi to Jeff, who jumped in the room a little bit ago. I do like the fact that there just are now four dudes in here and we all have black and white profile pics. So we've got a cool theme going here. Jeff, if you want to talk about any of these things, you're more than welcome to jump up. I've known Jeff for about 20, 25 years now, and he's a good buddy of ours. We're going to be out in his state um, from the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference uh, in South Dakota. We're going to be up five hours away from you, Jeff, but we'll be in your state uh, at the end of next month. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I think that just became a very popular eschatology because it's the simplest. And I don't want to say that and sound condescending. I'm just saying if, right. you're, if you're a new believer, if you're a uh, un untaught believer, if you're someone who does the, you know, hour a week at church and nothing more, it's very easy to get into that eschatology because it just, it just makes you look at your immediate surroundings instead of the backdrop of humanity, God's plan for redemption, his sovereignty and all those things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a simple, um, I don't know. I, I mean, like, I, I don't ever want to say that, uh, you know, like, that I know the right way um, when it comes to uh, how to uh, present the gospel or how to live or, or whatever. I mean, I, I try to search it out in scripture and I try to live by it. Right. Right. But like, it just, it just seems like dispensationalism is more of a lazy um, eschatology and just like the passive. And I mean, I know that John MacArthur, is, you know, John MacArthur is obviously like, you know, right. like, did you just call John MacArthur lazy, preacher, and pastor? Stupid? You know, like he, he, he uh, uh, yeah, I know, I know, right? 
<laughs> that's the only part of John MacArthur that I just I just cannot get with at all. But like I love his sermons, but um, at the same time, you know, I mean, like it it just goes back to people just going to church on Sunday. And, uh, you know, just listening to everything that the pastor says, whatever the pastor says, that's what goes, you know, and then, you know, and it's not like you have to always check your pastor, but there's nothing wrong with like going back and, uh, okay. So it's okay to check your pastor and just make sure that he's he's not being unbiblical in his, uh, in his, uh, what he's saying on Sunday morning, you know, and everybody should uh, do that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it goes back to tradition. It goes back to um, the passiveness, uh, the passive Christianity and just, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, OK, well, tell me about it, you know, and then there's really no answer for that question. You yeah. Know? But, uh, but anyway, we could dive deeper into that. But no, on that point, too, I mean, yeah. I'm working through the shorter catechism, the Westminster Catechism with my children every morning as a Bible study. And one of the things I do like is that it doesn't rely on tradition. If it mentions tradition, it says, this is the reason why we believe this tradition. And here's the scripture for it. And, and I feel like if we can raise up the next generation in saying, yes, we all have traditions, even in the reformed community, you have traditions, but why do we believe those traditions? Where is the biblical source for that? What's the foundation for that right. tradition? And if it's not rooted in the Bible and, and not explicitly taught in the Bible, then that's something that we can explore and, and maybe question and see if we can do better at. And unfortunately, I feel like most of the Western Christian church has a lot of traditions and they don't know why they believe them. And they might not even have a great biblical exposition of why they believe them. And, and I think that's a real right. problem. Yeah. Well, guys, we got way off subject here. We got into eschatology and all kinds of stuff. I know we were talking about what it means to be reformed. Um, I know we had some people in here. I apologize. That one, that's my fault. No, I love it. Oh, no, no, dude. Yeah, we love it, man. That, that's why we ping Steven in here, because he always gives us a, another point of view uh, and, and, you know, has some stuff. And you want to know what, Stephen, why don't you give us, after we just uh, dogged on pre-trib and, and dispensationalism for 10 minutes, that would be awesome if you told us your eschatology and you were both of those. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, why do you think I defended uh, the, yeah. uh, the uh, <laughs> Because we're all so, friends hey, here, man. Got, we're all friends here. Yeah, so yeah, feel, right? feel up free. Here, up here yeah. speaking right now, we've got all three, right? We got Amil, yeah. and Dispensational. Right. Um, but yeah, no, definitely very much like the, I guess, MacArthur mold. You know, like yeah. I said. Not, you know, a, not extreme. Whether, whether, well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but, you know, fully, I guess, you know, yeah. I, it seems to me that, you know, like we were saying, the the danger of the dispensational view, which you see in, you know, probably, unfortunately, most people who espouse it is, yeah. is looking at the news of the day and saying, in trying to predict that, you know, oh, look, things are getting worse, which, like you were saying earlier, Greg, I mean, come on, humanity has been depraved since Adam, right? You right. know, everyone, uh, unregenerate man hates God and, and always has and, and always will. So, uh, you know, it's, um, I can hold my sort of dispensationalism uh, and have just a, a you know, a, a confident grasp of the sovereignty of God and his love for for people and his desire to see uh, people come to know him uh, and, you know, evangelize without 
hesitation and not sort of, you know, be fearful or thinking of looking like around the corner, when's the world going to end? When's the rapture going to happen? Whatever. Um, you know, I think operating in the things like we mentioned earlier, the, the, the real baseline distinctives of being reformed, which is like the five solas and, and tulip and things like that. Um, I guess my dispensationalism is in light of that. So, yeah, I do have one, I guess, little story uh, of experiencing, unfortunately, the, the, the not good brand of dispensationalism. So here, I don't know if Jason and, and Jeff, you know, a little bit of my story, a little bit of background. I'm here in California in San Jose, which is in Santa Clara County, the most strictly locked down county in the nation from the coronavirus stuff. And so for several months last year, things are finally starting to open up a little bit now. But <laughs> for uh, several months last year, churches were not allowed to have gatherings at all like zero percent capacity just strictly online and um one of the few churches that uh well one of the only churches in the county that i know of that stayed open uh was the calvary chapel here in san jose a good-sized church of about i think five or six hundred and they closed their doors for about a month at the beginning of the pandemic when we were everyone was you know didn't fully know the extent of how bad the virus was, but then they opened up and they opened up without restrictions, no capacity limits, no mask mandates, anything like that. And they've been fined by the county $5,000 a Sunday um, for, for doing that. And the pastor has also been personally fined uh, and arrested on two occasions uh, over the course of last year, 2020. So uh, I went and in December, I attended one of their services because I was like, you know, well, let's see what this is all about. You know, here's a, a faithful brother who's convicted in in his stance um, about opening church in the face of uh, this government authority. And so I'm going to show up and see what's what. And I was, you know, really excited. And I went there and he happened to be out on, I don't know why, or like how in his preaching series got there, but it um, got into Revelation 1 and basically just read Revelation 1 and then sort of did a like talk on all of Revelation as a whole and got into all of this sort of, uh, um, you know, well, really <laughs> weirdness. And uh, I, one of the things uh, he did was um, uh, saying even like how something about vaccines are away at microchips and things like that. And, and also very much Israel watching, like went into uh. about how, how, how the state of Israel as established by Great Britain in what was it, 1947 is the, you know, is the equivalent sure. <laughs> essentially to the nation of Israel and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, the whole time in my mind just going, no. <laughs> I was like, and so I guess that's just, you know, a funny slash sad story, but it, it was an yeah. example of where this guy, you know, it, he is a believer for sure. And, and he, you know, a brother who is wanting to do his best. And, and like I right. said, you know, one of the few who was opening his church, uh, in defiance of the really draconian lockdowns we've had in our county. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was happy to go, but I was disappointed in that. So yeah. that's just really my long little story there. <laughs> no, that's awesome. for sure. And just to, we'll wrap this up here in just a few minutes, but uh, I just wanted to speak to something I said when I was talking about extreme Stephen, uh, I was saying, you know, every extreme viewpoint in eschatology can be dangerous. I mean, if you're Amil 
you can, you know, if you're an extreme omel, it's a type of apostolic. Thank you. Thank you. Jeez, I couldn't think of what the word was. And then, you know, even with post mill, you can even see some of those in the extreme situations becoming into some type of Christian fascism or uh, theocracy. And then, you know, you can get really into seclusion if in the extreme forms of, you know, dispensationalism. So, when I said extreme, I'm just saying when you take any biblical view and you kind of stretch it to the extreme, I don't uh, extreme. I don't care which one it is; it becomes unbiblical. So I, I'm saying if you have, yeah, there's too many gymnastics that uh, some if, try to. If you have a if you have a balanced and biblical uh, dispensational dispensationalist, a balanced and biblical post-mill and a balanced and biblical ah-mill, they will be much closer on 90% of the things they talk about than the extremes of each of those uh, when they discuss biblical eschatology. Just because, you know, the older I get, and I've said this many times, it's like moderation, moderation in everything, moderation in who God is, moderation in how you read his word, moderation in how you interpret it. And I feel like eschatology is one of those things where, although it's a secondary issue, look at, I get a believer that comes up to me and goes, I'm a dispy, I'm a pre-trib, I'm a post-mill, I'm an on-mill. They're still my brothers in Christ. They're still my sister in Christ. It's a secondary issue. Yeah. The only reason we even talk about this too is I think if it starts to affect how you live out the Great Commission and how you live out the yeah. gospel. Uh, and, it, and if it's affecting you negatively, and it, it can affect you negatively in all three of those that I just mentioned, if you're extreme in any of those, that's what I meant by extreme. I wasn't saying, oh, you're, you know, when I said, well, then you're not extreme. I'm saying you're balanced in your approach and you view it through the lens of scripture. I, I think we can all uh, be on this chat and go, yeah, these are brothers and sisters in Christ as a secondary doctrinal issue. Do you guys agree? For sure. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. No, not at all. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, yeah, to totally. Jason, over the government and institute. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, I told. Yeah, I totally agree, Greg. And I, and I think you know when I, when I say that it's a lazy uh, eschatology. <laughs> I was I trying. I'm, I was <laughs> trying to cover for you, Jason. Insulting our no, guests. No, 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 no. Hey, I, I will, I will say it up front. Like I think that there. Oh, hello. Stuff, yeah. and then whenever the whole like vaccination stuff started coming in, and then you know we're gonna get we're gonna get microchip. They've been trying to do it to animal. They're doing it to animals. They've been testing it out on them. Now they're gonna come and do it to us. I'm not getting that chip inside of me because you know what that means. That means six six six, and it's like. Do you know what 660 meant? Like, do you know what that means in Revelation? You know, right. but most people don't. But, but anyway. I, I would say to defend those people saying that, yeah, there's some truth to that, though. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, to trust in the secular culture instead of trusting in the gospel. So they're, what well, they're saying— Well, that's not defending them. That's saying that they're— speaking heresy by saying no 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 but i but i'm saying defending someone who goes you, you know vaccines are the mark or credit cards are the mark there still is some truth in that you know from my point wow. of view because as as Amil, I'm looking at him. I'm saying, yeah, you're trusting in the spirit of the Antichrist. Anytime someone trusts in the, in man, oh, in this culture, is trusting in man instead of God. And that's where I read. You know, when I read Antichrist, I read spirit of the Antichrist. And the spirit of the Antichrist has been around since you know, but, well, since creation. But Paul talks about it. The spirit of the Antichrist. Like, don't trust uh, in man. Trust in God. 
it's only written, uh, isn't it? First John two nineteen, and uh, I think it's only written in four spots where the Antichrist is brought up. The the man of lawlessness is who uh, is who uh, Paul talked about. So I guess it depends on your um, take on who the man of lawlessness is. But we'll, we'll yeah, just anyway, we'll just, we'll just say not, man of lawlessness not to be not to be the theolo- theological nerd, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, I think that's all of us. Maybe that's uh, next week we uh, get into Reformed and Routing. We say, what is the Antichrist? Who is it? Is it a spirit? Is it a man? I don't know. Oh, it's uh, obviously no. a spirit because that's what it says in First John, Second John, and Third. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, actually, First and Second John. Sorry. Right. Well, uh, did anyone want to uh, have final words here as we wrap up? Anything from Jason or Stephen or even Jeff or Luther who are in the room now? I did too much talking tonight, so I'll leave it to other people if you guys want to. Well, Luther just came up on stage. Luther, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good, man. I I, I was uh, interested to see you guys had this this uh, platform. That I think I think it was in the bio saying that the only reformed uh, clubhouse uh, on clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> so I and, was, and I do see yeah, that in your profile, uh, we have Christian, classical Arminian, husband, son, yeah. and sibling, and Haitian. So you just stepped into the lion's den, my friend. But we're all friends here. <laughs> That's yeah, okay. I, mean, I was like, there's no. I was like, there's no Armenian uh, clubs on here, so let me just join the reformed one. <laughs> hey, we'll get you, brother. Keep coming back every week. You know, we'll, we'll get you on our side eventually. You just got to read the Bible. I'm done. <laughs> hey, that's okay. Like R.C. Hey. Sproul said, that's okay. When you die, we'll get up to heaven, and the Lord will tell you such a such a straight. We'll such a straight. Yeah, yeah. No, we, hey, we we did. We did have uh, Dr. Brown on uh, on our podcast a few months ago. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, man, yeah, Dr. Brown, yeah, man, we we love Dr. Brown. So, you know, no one talks sure, about we'll, LGBTQ you too, stuff, uh, <laughs> right? Like Dr. Brown, but Luther, did, did you? Uh, we go till ten yeah. o'clock. You got a few minutes. You want to uh, throw something out there? And just so you know, uh, to reset the room, we are recording this, so you might show up on our podcast on Dead Men Walking podcast. So just be aware of that. Dang! So now, now I have to now I have to listen to the podcast too, huh? Oh, that's how we get you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess I, if, if I were to throw anything out in the last couple of minutes here, uh, you know, it's very interesting because a lot of times, you know, um, I a lot of times when I meet like, you know, uh, Calvinists, especially young ones, like young reference reform ones, um, uh, as opposed to ones who are like more mature and then, you know, have been Calvinists for a long time um, and have gained more wisdom as far as like interacting with other people who are not Calvinists. Um, I always notice that like, some of, like like a lot of people uh, don't necessarily kind of have a true understanding of what like classical Arminianism is, um, and have a lot of kind of like uh, understandings of Arminianism that are not actually Arminian, Arminian right? Um, in nature, at least historically, you know, speaking in the in like in, in you know in the tradition of like Arminius himself. So, like, I, I was just curious, like, what, like what do you guys consider an Arminian, and and how close do you think? you know, uh, the relationship is because I know, uh, Wesley was kind of saying like, you know, a hair's breadth away from Calvinism, you know, and for me, a lot of, a lot of things that, especially when I started learning more and more 
about um, Armenian theology. I just felt like there was a lot, at least a, a lot of the things that are like kind of argued about. Um, yeah. Once I kind of saw what classical Armenianism, Armenianism is, like what Armenia taught, like a, a lot of those things are very, 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 very close in my opinion. So I don't know how you guys like, what do you, what makes an Armenian to you guys? Wow, that's a great question. I'll answer here very quickly. I do like how he he slides into the room with two minutes left and asks that question, uh, which is a forty-five yeah, minute response. The best question awesome, ever to ask. And 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 Luther, I I appreciate you coming into the room and and talking too. Uh, you know, my my father and I we go round and round on this. And here's the thing. First of all, I think uh, maybe this is just because of my Reformed theology, but I think more people are Reformed in their theology than they think, even Arminians. Any funeral you go to, everyone's a Calvinist there. Any good thing that happens to people that's unexpected, they're Calvinists. Any bad thing that happens to someone, they become Calvinists. Any loss in their life, they become Reformed because they go, oh, God has a plan. God is sovereign. He's in control over all these things. And you go, well, what does that exactly mean, right? So I really classify Arminians, okay, uh, the, the ones that I don't agree with necessarily on theology, as anyone who possesses free 100% libertarian free will. That's the first thing because not even God has that. God cannot change. God cannot sin. God cannot lie, right? God cannot contradict his own will. So when we give a human the same or more uh, uh, libertarian free will than what even God has, I think we have an issue there in how we view God. So so that would be my first thing because free will is always the big thing that we, we always wrestle with, with Arminians with and discuss, right? I believe we have free will, but I believe we have free will within our own nature. And our nature is depraved and sinful. And I'm sure, Luther, you've heard all these arguments before. But I would say, when I really look at someone and say, what is your view of God? And their view of God is is anything less than 100% sovereign over everything, I would say, okay, let's have another sub-discussion about how you get to that place. And for me, that's where it first comes, you know, the different comes is how you view God. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's kind of my thoughts of that when I say Arminian and Calvinist are reformed. Okay, okay, I see, I see. Yeah, I mean, so one of the interesting things I think is that – I feel like as a, a classical Arminian, um, I believe in total depravity um, as well as total inability. Um, are you, uh, I guess, are, do you guys know that classical Arminians believe in total depravity and total inability? I did not know that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Classical yeah. Arminians. But I wouldn't say when you say the word Arminian now in 2021, that's not what most people think of. Would you agree with that, Luther? I, I think I would uh, because I you know it, it was interesting I was uh, I hopped on um, I hopped on uh, like a Facebook group a while back um, and I was kind of discussing you know Armenian theology with someone and they were telling me all these things that I believe and I'm like no <laughs> I'm right. like that's not what I believe and he's like oh no like this is what Armenians believe and I'm like well a lot of the things you're saying is basically either Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism and I'm like I, you know Armenians don't believe that you know uh, a man can choose God first on his own type thing and you know that man initiates and all that jazz and so, because I, I, I never really, uh, I haven't studied like the topic of free will of myself, and you know necessarily. So when I, I never approach the subject from like libertarian kind of free will and all these other kind of 
uh, types of free will. I usually kind of just think of it um, in the sense of the five points. Right. Um, and, and, and so for me, like, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you just don't believe that men are depraved. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? You know, and I sometimes I actually have to, like, pull quotes from Arminius himself so that they can see, like, no, like, you know, Arminians believe that, you know, men are totally depraved and they cannot come to God unless God, you know, restores them himself, you know? And so, um, yeah, it, it, that, that's one of the interesting things that, that I found. Um, but I guess <clears throat> this is the argument that I had with the person on, on, um, on, uh, on Facebook is that I guess in my opinion, and, you know, I guess anybody can have their opinion, right? But like, in my opinion, like that's not Arminianism, right? Like, so like, like you said, like, you know, in 2021, that's not what is considered to be Arminian. But I think because Arminian theology has been mischaracterized throughout the, the, you know, the ages, it has made people who are not Arminian or and who are probably just semi-Pelagian in their thinking um, think that they are Arminian. And then so now that they have started, you know, saying that, you know, oh, well, I'm Arminian or I lean Arminian or I'm Calminian and, you know, all these kind of things, right? But they don't really know what, like, historical classical Arminianism necessarily is, at least, you know, in the tradition of, of Arminius uh, himself. So, um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but uh, I guess usually my answer is like, oh, well, they're not really Arminian. <laughs> that's, just, that's always my opinion. And I, it was funny because even um, on one of, on another Facebook group where I kind of brought this up, I was like, hey, like, because it, it was like a group for Arminians. And I was like, hey, like, don't you guys think we should make like a, like a, like a friendly line in the sand? Like, like, this is what like Armenians believe. And if you don't believe this, like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you know, we still like, you're still a brother in Christ, but like, you're not an Armenian really. Like, you know, and the guy was, one of the guys was like, Oh, well, we, you know, you can't do that because you know, you don't want people to like feel isolated and left out. And I was like, I mean, it's not like, I mean, you should find your identity in Christ. Number one, like, because I'm telling you, I don't think you're a classical Armenian. Like that should make you feel like we can't be friends or we can't talk, you know, but, um, right. but yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, you know, when people say classical Arminianism, I feel like that's really like nowadays, if you if you compared it to the political spectrum, when people say classical liberalism, um, I'm a constitutional conservative, mm. but I line up more with classical liberals, right? JFK was a classical right, right, liberal. Right, right. He was anti-fiat money, anti-abortion. He was anti-government. He was limited government. Mm. He was, you know, all mm. these things. And in just a short 50 years, classical liberalism has now been classified under liberalism. And you go, well, wait a minute. I'm, uh, you know, politically classical liberalism and constitutional conservatism really line up like 95% of the things they believe. So, you know, right. a lot of people forget that, uh, you know, Arminius was a Dutch reformed theologian. So his, exactly. his, his roots were in a reformed type of theology and exactly. un unfortunately, though, that's when. So, are, let me ask you this: Are you kind of in the vein of like a latent flowers, where he's trying to bring back this resurgence of kind of kind of being that in between? I don't want to say in between. I don't want to sound like you know condescending or anything, but like almost mm -hmm. you know, is he kinda, a provisionist? Like a pro yeah, yeah he's like not. A, he's not. He's not Armenian. He's a provisionist. He he'll actually say that he's not Armenian, and he'll actually like um, not. I don't. I don't ever seen him debate in Armenian, but like he'll actually like talk to Armenians and be like, "I am not an Armenian. I'm a traditionalist or a provisionist." Right. I think 
So what's the difference between what he believes and what you believe in kind of, if you were to look at like Tulip or look at the Solas, what's the difference? I mean, is there any action on man to save themselves or is there some action or no action or like, where are you when you compare that to Leighton Flowers just for reference for me? Yeah, I think um, from what I've seen of Leighton Flowers, um, and he says that, you know, the semi-Pelagian, you know, claim would be a boogeyman argument, but as far as an Arminian, a classical Arminian would say that, like, man is, like, completely dead in his sins. He cannot come to God on his own. He is unable to come to God on his own. And God has to literally kind of enable him and, and like, draw him for the man to be able to do anything, like, you know, good or to come to God, right? right. Whereas Leighton's flowers will say, like, he won't say that, like, men are totally unable to do that. What he'll say is that the gospel and the Bible and like the sacraments are are the tools that God uses to draw men. Right. And so it's kind of like it's it's, it's like a weird. I, I haven't watched enough of his videos to like, I guess to express it. But like from what I understand, I even had a back and forth with him on um, some post or whatever where I was trying to like because everybody was just like slaying him, and I was just like, well, let's kind of like try to figure out where he's coming from. Right. And, and it sounded like what he was trying to say was that like basically, you know. There's, you know, the gospel and there's the Bible and like there, there's the word of God. And like his whole point was like, oh, is the word of God not powerful enough to like, you know, draw men or something like that. And so it seemed like it wasn't like God was drawing men or initiating necessarily, but that God put in place these things so that men, if if they were to use these things or be exposed to these things, those things will be powerful enough to like, you know, bring men or persuade men. Right. So like that kind of, and that's why people are like, oh, like, well, you're saying might be lazy, because now men have an ability to like, you know, kind of do it if they have something that, you know. So like, that's kind of how I understand um, uh, Leighton Flowers. So, so let me ask this a different way as we wrap up here. So, what are some of the reformed points that you would disagree with as a classical Arminian? Um, and okay, great. Yeah, so I'll answer that. I, and granted, I'm not, uh, you know, an expert. Uh, None of but, us are, uh, brother. We're I on think, Clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm sure you guys are more learned than I am. But I, I would say um, total depravity, we agree with. <clears throat> I would say um, unlimited atonement, we would necess- we would usually disagree with. We would believe in more of like a corporate election or like a uh, – uh, 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 or, or some people you would use conditional election. But like kind of like in the, you know, the order of salvation or the order of decrees, it, w- it would be more that in, – in, in, in the Armenian order of decrees, it would be like before – the election process, Jesus would be chosen as the like ultimate elect, you know, he's, he's the elect one or whatever. Sure. And then the next decree would be those in Christ will be elect, um, as opposed to um, having uh, individuals that are chosen in particular, whether they, you know, what, you know, what, before they do good or bad or whatever. Um, but, at, at, but choosing individuals uh, for us, we, we wouldn't see it that way necessarily. It would be like whoever is in Christ um, is elect. And then I think most people use Ephesians um, one uh, when it, when it says chose us in him uh, to kind of, you know, support that argument. Um, sure. But then the, again, I, again, I'm not an expert, but um, as uh, far as limited atonement, of course, we disagree with limited atonement. Um, irresistible grace, of course, like we disagree with irresistible grace, but, uh, I, I guess you could say that the, in, in the terms of prevenient grace, which is what we believe in, I think the initiating part of that is irresistible in the sense that like God can like enable us. Um, but, um, 
sure we are enabled to like really like just be able to listen, hear the gospel and like understand it or whatever. We still have that choice to either um, <clears throat> uh, cooperate with his grace or people, some people say cooperate with his grace or accept the gift of, of, of faith or reject the gift of faith or not cooperate with his grace, however way you want to say it. So in that sense, uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, it is ultimately resistible. Um, and then um, and then perseverance of the saints, you have Armenians who fall on either side. Um, sure. I haven't done a lot of study of this on my own, but from the passages I have seen, I guess I would say that right now I would lean towards um, a, a Christian can uh, forfeit their salvation. Yeah, so my my big question that I have with people who, who hold to uh, pervenient grace is, if the grace enables but doesn't necessarily ensure, isn't the enabling still God, the author and finisher of your salvation and your faith, as the Bible says? So how do you jump over the fact when a Reformed person says, look at you cannot come to Christ unless you're first drawn. Uh, Provenient grace kind of says the same thing. It says you can't choose unless grace first enables. Kind of sounds like, I don't want to say the same thing, but how do you get past that in Provenient grace that says, yeah, the grace enables, but we still have to choose. Well, if God never chooses to enable, then aren't we right back to reform theology? If, if God, you're saying if God doesn't choose to enable someone, whether I'm trying to make sure, make sure I understand your question. So you're saying if God doesn't choose to enable someone, then well, that person is basically in, like from the Calvinist perspective, that person would have been quote unquote passed over and like because they haven't been enabled. Is well, not, that a, not, of- not that, but just the fact that pr- provenient grace by definition is grace that enables, but doesn't necessarily ensure. Correct. Wouldn't you agree with that definition? It enables us to uh, choose, I, I, but doesn't ensure yeah, yeah, our I, salvation. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so if it enables us, we had no means to do that, you know, through depravity, we had no means to do that before. Then if mm-hmm. God is the one enabling the grace, then isn't he the ultimate author of your faith? Like the Bible says, I'm just, yeah, we, I mean, I'm not we, arguing I, I, here. I'm just asking what your point of view is on, cause for me, provenient grace has always kind of been one of the softest issues because you're still saying God has to provide that enabling grace to then ensure salvation if we choose. And the reformed person just says it's irresistible when, when God presents it, you get it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any Armenian that would uh, disagree that he's the uh, the author and finisher, uh, you know, in, in that in that scriptural sense, I think most of the time they're trying to kind of argue that we are closer than we are uh, different. And the fact, and that fact that you're bringing up that he's enabled, like we right. can't do it on our own. Yeah. No, I love I, it. I, I'd agree. I love it. Hey, we're going to wrap this up. We usually go to 10 o'clock. We went a little bit late. Luther, thanks for jumping in late and bringing up some good conversation. You're free to jump in uh, anytime, brother. And when you start your classic Arminianism group on Clubhouse, I'll be the fir- I'll be the first one in there. Uh, so <laughs> Jason, Stephen, Luther, uh, Jeff, I know we had a couple other people in here earlier. I really appreciate you guys jumping in tonight. We are going to wrap it up, shut it down. We do this every Tuesday, 9 PM Eastern standard time. Tell your friends, invite them to clubhouse, get them on here. We'll talk about this. And heck, if you want to listen to the full episode, you can listen to it on dead men walking podcast. That's dmwpodcast.com or anywhere you get your podcast. Jason, did you have anything for us? As we head out. No, thank you guys for the awesome conversation. Oh, I love it. I don't care who you are. If you're a brother in the Lord, I love talking to you. Guys, I'm jumping out of here. Have a good night. All right, cool. Appreciate it.
Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Luther. That was enlightening, by the way. Oh, no problem, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dead Men Walking Podcast for full video podcast episodes and clips, or email us at deadmenwalkingpodcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pump TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.